0: That's a terrible call.
1: That
2: is a terrible call.
3: Brown and candles out. Come on, get with the game here.
4: What up guys? Welcome back to the Celtics Bug Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined by my co-host Tim Shields, and today we've got Keith Smith on as a third guest host special guest host i should say we're doing the community calling we've got about six to eight guys who are waiting on on the phone lines now to pick keith's brain and get a decent hoop conversation started so keith how are you doing today my man you all good I'm good sorry i
5: couldn't figure out how to work the mute button <laughs>
4: <laughs> i do that so often it's insane
5: i'm i'm all good and i need to learn how to use this because this is how my daughter's doing school in uh, about uh, what 12 hours or so uh, 16 hours, or whatever it works out to. But yeah, no, everything's good here. Well, we're all hanging in here. We're doing the social distancing thing and staying away from each other. We're taking care of our uh, new little puppy that we just got and added to the family. And that's, uh, you know, you're going to be around the house anyway. You might as well add a little bit more chaos to it.
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. You need to um, keep your brain active and keep that keep your activity levels up, right? Chasing around Something after the like puppy. That. Yeah, that's it's definitely the, the stage. truth. Yep that's the best stage.
5: Yeah. She, she's great. She, you know, she's just learning. She's only, uh, just over eight weeks old. So it was just, yeah, we waited until she could, uh, safely leave her, her mother. And then we went and got her and she's doing good. She's just, you know, a lot of nipping and biting and sleepless nights and those things, but we'll figure it all out.
4: Yeah. It takes a while. My dog's like nearly four and is still going through the chewing phase. Um, I don't know why. It's very weird. It's very frustrating. Only my stuff. <laughs> Couldn't tell you why. But uh, puppies are amazing. I bet the kids are loving it.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah. Our daughter is going absolutely crazy. She thinks it's the greatest thing she's ever seen, and she is absolutely thrilled. That's what it's
4: all about, though, right?
5: Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. So let's get these guys who
4: are on the on the call line involved now. Let's try and get a good hoops conversation going. So if the first person who, basically it's first come, first serve, so the first one to hit the unmute button wins, you get to introduce yourself and then you get to start the conversation up. All
0: right. So uh, I guess I was the first to unmute myself. Um, right. um I'm Ryan Sheehan. Uh, I go as 401sheehan on Twitter. Um, So I guess to start off this hoop conversation, um, I guess a topic that, I really liked to bring up a lot this season was the topic of the bench that the Celtics had. So, I mean, among you guys, and maybe even Keith, uh, I wanted to know what uh, you guys thought about that situation going into the trade deadline and everything like that. Cause it seemed as though a little bit after the, uh, after the deadline, we started to notice how the bench was a really big X factor for the team. whether Whether it was positive or negative. So what, what do you guys think about the, the Celtics bench this season?
6: I think personally a lot of the issues that happened with the bench had to do with the fact of just having people being injured. Um, there were a lot of injuries that happened with their main roster, with their starting five, that there's just a trickle-down effect. Because when Gordon misses time or Jalen Brown misses time, then your slotting Marcus is smart into your starting lineup, and that immediately impacts your bench offense. There isn't a lot of three-point shooting coming off the team's bench. I think there was a lot of expectations going into the season with Carson Edwards um, that he just hasn't been there or what we needed yet. But I mean, he's a rookie that's expected. Um, And outside of that, I think there have been a lot of things that have impacted the Celtics in terms of how they can make a move. I think a lot of salary cap restrictions and the future of Gordon Hayward, which apparently seems he might opt in, so that helps, but they don't have a lot of a lot of cap space to operate with. And I think people expected them to be able to do that. Um, They do still have a lot of draft capital to move around, but I I don't think they were in a hurry up move. And now, especially with everything with the coronavirus and the season being on hold, it's really good. They didn't just go out and trade for a Davis Bertans or, you know, a short-term rental, because now at this point we don't even know when the season's going to start up again. We might jump right into the playoffs. So I don't know.
5: Yeah, I can jump in. And one of the things that is I've been, you know, unfortunately I'm starting to do a little bit of prep as if the season may be over now. And hopefully that's not the case, but doing some of that uh, season rewind, I guess, prep work. And we'll see. I'm taking the Brad Stevens approach, even if it's not, it's a good learning exercise and we'll be ready to go for whenever things do restart. But one of the things I had not realized throughout the course of the year is not a single Celtic had played in all 64 games that the team had played. Brad Wanamaker was the team high with 63 games played. And then Grant Williams was 62. The main guys, none of them had even gotten to as many as 60 uh, games played. So that's, that's a challenge. And I think that's where the bench, the fact that Smart had started 39 games, that was never the plan. They, they didn't want him. They're comfortable, obviously, right? Love and trust them. But they were not looking for him to start. Games his his ideal role was going to be coming off the bench and and being really that kind of spark plug that anchor to run the team on that second unit and and yet here he is in the starting lineup more often than not of his fifty three games played thirty nine starts then you had escanter quickly pretty quickly moved to the bench early on in the season and I think that the hope was once they had everybody together and you had your top seven or eight guys in there you felt good about. That being your playoff grouping. Now, my criticism came in is as you look into the roster down the line, you're you're really out of roster spots. Cause if you're gonna look to keep most of the young guys you've brought in together and keep them around Boston and then add three draft picks that's going to be really hard you're going to run out of roster spots really quick and first round picks are not guys you're looking to put on the two way contracts so you're maybe you draft and stash a guy maybe you trade a pick to flip it down the line and get a pick later or something like that but but that's going to be be a challenge that they're going to have to work out now because ideally you could you're not ideally, but realistically, you could make a case that all 17 players under contract, you could make a case for all 17 of them being back next year. And then you got to add three draft picks. Well, where are those roster spots coming from? And I know that's where people start screaming consolidation trade or do those kind of things. But the reality is you're not giving up. You're not giving up any of the top six guys, the five starters and smart. And then the rest of the roster, you, you like Langford more than just kind of giving them away. You're not doing that with Grant Williams. And the other guys, there's just not a ton of value there. So that's was my fault in roster construction for the remainder of this season and next year. But that's all said without knowing exactly what presented itself to Danny NEH for deals at the time.
3: Yeah, um, this is uh, Nate D. My uh, Twitter handle is uh, uh, Nate's Dirty B-Ball. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with most of that. I really think the biggest criticism I had the trade deadline is, uh, you have all these end of the bench players and you have all this draft capital. Um, they really should have consolidated, um, some of that. I mean, the biggest need for the team to me, I think was, was the shooting at the, at the five spot. Um, and, that, and that's why they really were dependent on Grant Williams to start hitting jumpers, um, as the, you know, as a five or four, I mean, you've seen it, you know, um, Grant Hammond played play the five because you have candor out you have tice out um and you have uh you know lob williams out um so i think that's you know um that was my biggest criticism they sh- they should have really you know packaged a couple of those draft picks that they have um and some of the end of the bench guys maybe even carson well uh carson um edwards or uh you know De- devonte green um you know get rid of some of those guys and try to go after a guy like the david bertans of the world um You know, I really think that was one of the you know uh, miscue that you know on Danny's part that you know he probably should have addressed. But I mean, you know, now it's all for not seeing that you know the season you know might be lost.
5: Yeah, I think the one thing though that you need to be careful with with that is, their Washington was looking for too good picks or a young a good young player in a pick and your challenge is edwards isn't getting you anything he doesn't have a whole lot of value javante green has no trade value at all so so those guys they're not getting anything so that's in the picks unfortunately because memphis is playing so much better yeah the picks more likely to convey but it's still not a very good pick and then the celtics own pick is a late first the milwaukee pick that's the 30th pick so you're just not getting much with those picks i think that's the challenge is right it's it's always easy to criticize Danny Ainge and jump in and say he wouldn't do things and and that is fair at times but in this case you have it takes two to tango and you had Washington saying we want two good first-round picks or a good young player and a first-round pick, and you're not giving up a guy like Langford or Williams or the other, you know, either of the Williamses to go get a guy like Bartans. Yeah, he'd helped us so this year, but then there's no guarantee he's sticking around beyond this year because he wants to get paid for the first time in his career. So I think that's what makes it really tricky for Ainge to put those kind of deals together.
6: And outside of that, too, on top of just moving assets for players. It- adding another layer of difficulty to that is just the salary cap situation because they don't have a lot of flexibility. And unless you cobble together a bunch of contracts in order to try and match that money, it just didn't make sense. In terms of the player in a, in a bubble outside of salary cap concerns, it makes a whole lot of sense to try and get a player like Davis Bertans. Uh, The one thing with that is him being a free agent. As Keith said, that is a massive impact on the situation especially with the Celtics' salary in this summer going to be in flux. So it's something they can revisit in the summer, of course, and I think eventually we have to see a consolidation trade, whether that's trading a bunch of players away for another contract for one or consolidating picks or, as Keith mentioned earlier, kicking the can down the road and just trading picks for future picks. But there needs to be something done just because you you just don't have enough space for all these bodies. Well,
3: ex- exactly, and that's why I'm, um, you know, I really thought that they, they really should have, you know, sometimes, you know, spending draft and spending assets on a rental isn't the worst play in the world. I mean, if you look at the, you know, league this year, it, I mean, outside of the Bucks, I mean, it is pretty wide open.
6: Um,
3: it, so yeah, that's I why,
1: think yeah, it makes
3: but,
6: sense. No, it, it totally makes sense to make a move, but with the Celtics, it wasn't just a matter of moving assets too. The money restrictions that they have are so massive it would have taken three, three, maybe even four players on their roster to cobble together to go ahead and get a Bert Hans. And then where are you left at? You're giving up two, maybe even three picks, two of which will be first rounders, plus all the assets it takes in terms of salary to get a guy like that in-house, and you don't know if he's going to stay in the summer. So that's the issues that you run into. You have a better chance of trying to cobble something together in the summer for a team that's trying to restructure or maybe you know free up some cap space to sign somebody. You know, It's not a great free agency class this summer, but there are still moves to be made. And picks, when you are a team trying to contend, those first-round picks, those rookie deals are huge. But the, the, there's one little caveat to that is that you have to hit on them. So maybe we see the Celtics try and trade up a little bit these are just personal opinions. I don't have any information on that kind of thing. But there could be a move to be had there. So I think, I guess on the
7: Bertans point, I, I've read a lot of reports. I know, I mean, I guess, Keith, you probably know better than I do. But I've, I've read multiple reports that he did offer to first and Washington just didn't budge. Um, and I think the other point, we, I think, with any age, we always have to think about is he's he's probably not going to make a deal unless he thinks the team is that player away from being a contender. Right. So I guess even with Bertans, I'm skeptical as to whether Danny really looked at this roster and was like, Hey, this roster is really a Davis Bertans away from being an actual contender, being on the Lakers Clippers Milwaukee level. Right. And if I don't know what he, th- I obviously, it doesn't matter what we think, talking about what the NDH thought. and if he thought that we were not a Davis Bertons away, that means he probably wasn't going to pull the trigger because of the draft assets that he was going to give up. Because um, from what I know, that's just like kind of how he thinks, right? If you're not going to win it all, then giving up those assets for a rental to him doesn't make a lot of sense. And then on another note, the a point that keeps us on in terms of like adding draft, three drafts, um, I think Danny Ainge was on NBC Sports the day after or the day of the trade deadline and basically Scal just asked a bunch of questions about mm-hmm. his draft picks and his answer was basically like, oh, actually we have a pretty good idea of what this draft picks are worth based on our phone calls. And I think from what I've heard from Danny Ainge from the years from his interviews, he was like, actually when you make trades on draft day, a lot of the trades that happen on that day that they've been talking about going back to the trade deadline before. So I feel like he has a pretty good idea about what his traffics could get him on draft day
5: yeah those are really good points I would say let's go to the Bartans thing first is again all indications were two good first round picks or a young player and a first round pick well Boston wasn't offering the young player because they didn't have it and they didn't have two good first round picks their best first round pick is the Memphis pick beyond that it's you're looking at the um, Milwaukee or their own pick and those picks just aren't very valuable now to the draft piece where the good thing is what happens often and we saw this with Mike Conley. Let's look a little over a year ago when the Utah Jazz were close at the trade deadlines trading for Mike Conley. It didn't happen because part of the problem is Conley's a thirty plus million dollar salary that's really hard to match on. You don't have the extra roster spots to to take your roster up to 20 in the regular season and those kind of things. That's why those big salaried players generally move in the offseason. And then but Utah and Memphis set the groundwork. They got close, no deal. And then we saw them quickly regroup in the offseason and make a deal to start off the summer right away when uh, trades were allowed after the moratorium in July. So that definitely does happen. Now, Bertans is an unrestricted free agent, so there's not going to be anything that happens with him. But to that point, of, Ainge now has a pretty good handle on what those picks are going to be worth. He's got an even better handle because now we're sitting here with roughly 18 to 20 games left in the regular season and let's be optimistic and say maybe we get some of that back but you have a sense of all right well that memphis pick it's going to be either super low in the lottery or it's going to be you know right there at the uh tail end of the non lottery picks in the first round boston knows that their pick will be in the you know back half of the 20s and then the Bucks pick is going to come in at 30 and that's that gives you a much better sense whereas you're doing a lot more projecting there and teams just weren't buying on that Memphis pick because it was all right so let's say they do fall out of the playoffs and then everything goes you know really wrong for them and they keep the pick well now they're in another good young player to a good young nucleus already that was close to being the playoffs. You know, the teams just, that pick just didn't have the value. If, if anything, the time to move that would have been a year or more ago. But then you would have screamed and yelled because you've traded away a pick that looked absolutely amazing. It's just the Grizzlies got better quicker than anybody thought they ever would. Uh,
0: this is uh, Steve Reisner um, from Boston, dad Reisner, and Steven. Uh, so I actually have uh, two questions. For you guys, uh, one is is if fully healthy, is this Celtics team good enough to legitimately contend? And uh, two, I actually got this take at the ESPN Sports Analytics Conference in Boston uh, about a month ago. Um, if the if the Bucks don't happen to win a championship this year, assuming that we actually get a playoff, uh, is Giannis done in Milwaukee?
5: Yeah, I can –
0: oh, go ahead. Oh, my bad, Keith. (laughs) Sorry about that. I've been uh, holding this in for a little bit, actually. There was a great point that you brought up earlier about the question that Steve is asking now, uh, whether if the team was healthy enough, would they be a legitimate contender? And you had brought up earlier about how um, our main guys uh, didn't even get to about 64 games, anything like that. And I did see a a stat before one of our last few games – uh, where it showed like Jalen Brown, uh, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker. And it showed they had only played like a combined like 20 games with each other this season. Some crazy stat. But I think that's the thing that uh, we never really got to see. So I think if the team was completely healthy and they went into the playoffs, yeah, they would have been a legitimate contender. But they definitely would have uh, ran into some issues with, um, with Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. I just think if they had been able to play with each other a lot more this season and we got to see that, then we would have seen that legitimate contender. But since injuries after injuries kept popping up and it would either be Gordon hurt one night or Jason hurt the other or Jalen Brown missing games, uh, they never really got to show what what their full potential was. So, Steve, I answered your question. In my opinion, I think they would have been a legitimate contender it's just the issue of running into the Milwaukee Bucks in the in the Eastern Conference and then between the Western Conference it's it's a little bit all over the place but i would have seen either the Lakers or Clippers one of those teams making it in so my opinion i think they were a legitimate contender
5: yeah where where i tend to think on the the um Celtics this year is, in a lot of ways, this break, if this lasts a little bit, is going to help them in some ways. Kemba Walker clearly needed to get off his feet for a while. We needed to see him sit. He probably shouldn't have been playing when he was playing and then Gordon Hayward there's there's still concerns with him he obviously the broken hand is fine now but then he had missed what three or four games over the course of the year with problems with the foot that goes all the way back to when he broke his leg and it sounds like that's just a use thing and the more he plays the more that's going to get painful and then he's going to eventually have to sit out Jalen Brown was nicked up with any number of ankle and then hamstring injuries and those kind of things so in a way I think that helps the Celtics to some extent now were they a real contender? I think health's the only thing that kept them from being a real contender because we saw when they were fully healthy that they could beat anybody in the league. They could go in and play their game. They, They do match up. They're a tough matchup for teams because even though they don't have somebody that you can put on Giannis to take him out of games and defend him, tell me the team in the league that does nobody does. They're, that That guy doesn't exist in the NBA. But what Boston can do is you've got a whole bunch of big long guys who are coming from all over the place on help plays to double. They would have seen them uh, seven times you know, up to seven times and that gives Brad Stevens a chance to game plan for a guy like Giannis and really make it work against him. So I think what's important there is you're looking at the Celtics who are tough and then flip it to the other side of the floor. They have You have to defend Boston too and that is what is hard I go back to earlier this year when it was well last year really it was at summer league towards the end I was talking with a coach about how the Celtics were going to match up with the new giant 76ers and we went through a whole bunch of stuff and he you know walked through well I think they'll do this I think they'll do that but then he said but let me leave you with this Philadelphia has to defend them too and who's going to want to step out and cover Tatum, Hayward, Brown on the perimeter? Because Horford has to defend one of those guys. Harris has to defend another one. He's not a great defender either. And then if you're not going to put Simmons on Kemba Walker, well, then you got to put somebody else on him, and that's going to create matchup problems. And I think that's where Boston's strength lies, is because they had four guys who could attack off the dribble at any given time, that makes them really, really tough to defend. As far as the question about Giannis goes, I wouldn't go there, and I think what we're going to see coming out of this with the whole coronavirus is I think you're going to see guys with a little bit of a different understanding of what it means. One of the things that's always important to remember, especially with the foreign-born players in the NBA, is that whatever their first NBA home is – tends to be home for a very long time. Those guys come here and if you think about Giannis, Milwaukee's all he knows in this country. That's where he came. He calls it home because that was really home for him for a long time. We saw that with Mark Gasol in Memphis. He he lived there when Paul Gasol was playing for the Grizzlies and then he stayed there for a number of years when he had multiple opportunities to leave and he never thought about leaving. And a guy like Giannis, yeah, there's always going to be the big market lore, but I think for him that's doesn't really matter this guy's an international superstar now market size he there, there's a handful of guys that transcend that and it doesn't really matter for them so i don't think the bucks winning or losing this year is going to make a huge difference for his decision making
2: uh, uh philip uh, oh, my um, i'm sorry uh philip with boda sports um just to answer your two questions um uh, for the first thing boston celtics i think if fully healthy They can absolutely be a contender. Why? Um, Obviously, this season, a lot of bumps and bruises. But we've seen them compete with top teams like the Clippers, um, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Bucks. And obviously, people are saying they're one piece away for a big man or things like that. But obviously, this season, who do you got in the East that's a real threat to to the Celtics? Giannis. um, Obviously, Toronto, they're looking real nice the 76ers and maybe the heat if they keep uh, if they keep this um this streak going of just surprising people but with the Celtics and how they're playing right now if they're fully healthy I think they can manage of who can be hot and who can be not you know who's going to be that guy that can stop the top player obviously you got Marcus Smart who's contending to be first team all defense you got Jason Tatum who's just breaking out right now and also not on offensively but defensively as well. He's showing that he'll, he'll take the challenge of guarding the best player and doing his best, and that's just showing that if with Kemba Walker coming from Charlotte, he was the man over there, and he doesn't mind taking a step back, you know, and coming in when he needs to for a bucket. I think that nucleus and, their, and the chemistry that they got going right now, I think they can absolutely be a contender and come out of the East as, you know, the Eastern Conference champions. As for Giannis um, leaving the Bucks. I don't see that likely to happen win or lose because he's just created a a solid foundation. And I would go as far as that, you know, R. P. to the great Kobe Bryant. Kobe's had had a great influence on many of these people and Giannis is one of them. And, you know, Giannis bringing his brother over to the Bucks after he was overseas and things like that. He's had a foundation in Milwaukee coming from from um, Greece. Um, Win or lose. I think Milwaukee is, is going to be a home for him for many, many years, and I don't see him um, leaving anytime soon. I
6: have to agree with that as well. I think if, I think the only way that that ends up going downhill is if the Bucs truly implode. And I think by the way that Giannis is playing and the way that the Bucks have played so far this season, what we've seen, they have just steamrolled the rest of the league the past two years. So I just don't see that changing. I think the one thing that could affect that is where the Bucks go from here. You know, I don't think they have to make the finals in order to change Giannis's mind. I think they need to show a commitment to building around him. And so far, outside of the Malcolm Brogdon situation, I think they have. They've done a really great job. They went out and they got Bledsoe. They got George Hill. Uh, getting Brooke Lopez was actually a huge get for them last year. And I think that that has paid off exponentially. We'll have to see how the rest of it plays out, but I very well could see him playing there the rest of his career. Right now, the way that the East is built and the way that they have gone through the East, there is a really, really good chance that they are able to be contenders for a long period of time. He's young. They've got him and Chris Middleton paired. The one thing that I think they're lacking is a little bit more consistency in terms of shooting, but that's something they can add in the future without having to sacrifice a chance to keep Giannis around but Giannis he's so impactful to be honest he's probably the most impactful player I've seen drafted since LeBron James in my opinion just based on everything he's done so far in such a short period of time and he's just a physical specimen that guy is a freak of nature and it's the reason why he's called the Greek freak but I think there's a lot of promise for the Bucks, and I think if they build the right way and they have so far they have a really good chance to have a long run.
5: So
4: to jump in on this now, what I want to do now, there's about 10 minutes left of the show. So this is going to be where you can fire questions at Keith or myself or at Tim. We're the guys that myself and Tim operate this podcast three times a week. Everybody knows, Keith knows his stuff. He's well entrenched in all things NBA. So this is going to be based basically like a Fire your questions at one of us. Let us know which one you want to answer. And then if you think of a question off the back of that, feel free to jump in. But this bit will be like a and a anything that you want some insight on. I'm assuming most of these questions are going to go to Keith. That's why he's here. He's got the most knowledge base. So from here, anyone can just jump in with a question. But every time you unmute, then just fire a question. I'm sure questions will come to your mind as ones are being answered.
7: Yeah, I got one. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about... Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in depth because um, they're the future of the team. And I guess, I guess for Keith or Adam and you guys, I just want to, I just wanted you guys to dive in. Like, what do you realistically expect them to look like in five, six years when they're in their prime? And this, this obvious can be discussed in so many ways. I mean, is Jason Tatum going to be like a 28, five and five guy or like, is and what does that mean? Does that mean he's a true number one on a contender, like a top five player? And for Shalen Brown, the same question, is he going to be like a top 10 guy? Is he going to be a Jimmy Butler type? And I guess it's obviously it's hard to project, but if you just look at them right now, what would you project those two to be in, in five or six years?
5: Yeah, I think, and I'm not comparing them to Jordan and Pippen because that's absolutely blasphemous and foolishness, Um, but I think in the sense of you have one guy who is top five and then the other guy is top 10. I think that is realistic and in play. I think the improvement that Jalen Brown has made in the last year or so has been so huge that that really stands out. I think what was interesting was we saw. very early on with Jason Tatum that first month of the season when he was a rookie you said to yourself wow this guy's going to be something special and by the end of that year he's dunking on LeBron in the conference finals and making big plays and was arguably the best player on that team by the end of that season so that was you know really interesting just the way that all played out and and now you're looking at it and I think Tatum is a guy who's going to be in the mix for all NBA, probably all NBA first team after a handful of the older guys retire in the next few years or their play declines. And then I think Jalen Brown's a guy who's, I don't know that he ever gets quite to those levels. I just think Tatum has a little bit more versatile game. I think he's the uh, more impactful defender with some of the things he can do. I just think Brown's, he's a year uh, longer in the league so he's a year ahead development wise eventually that curve flattens out and those two guys will will even up there but I think Boston's in great hands I, I don't they it's funny I know people love to put Celtics fans and people who cover the team as I do on the spot with will pick one why Boy, you don't have to. They've got them both, and they can have them both for, you know, for a good long time now. There's no reason to, to pick between them, and they're certainly not going to do that. And most importantly is I think those two guys really, I don't think, I know those two guys really like each other. They enjoy playing together. They enjoy being out there together. And that's more important than I think a lot of people give credit to.
3: Um, quick question, Keith. Um, I mean, obviously, um, you know, we're kind of heading into this uncertain times of whether or not the, uh, the league is going to resume. Um, I really think out of the, out of the four major sports the NBA seems to be the most um, progressive and, and the most creative. Um, do you see uh, what do you foresee the, the, the NBA doing in terms of uh, scheduling going forward um, trying to either get the season in or uh, maybe they try to do something creative um, between now and, and next season to kind of keep you know um, the, the, the fans engaged and interested um, because if they do cancel the season you're, you're talking about good you know, uh, nine months um, between basketball games. Um, So I, I would like to hear your thoughts on that.
5: Yeah, that's the popular question of the day. I get that uh, you know, seven, eight times a week on different radio appearances and podcasts. And I think here's your challenge right now for the NBA is no none of these leagues want to be first. They're not going to be the first ones to say we're coming back. They're all going to wait until things are really in a position to come back. Now, the NBA might be more uniquely positioned to come back uh, sooner than any of these other leagues. They, they're, they can really play in a confined space space that's fair they can limit it fairly small to to the number of people involved The these suggestions of well under 50 people that's no problem because a basketball game is only five on five well That's not how it works. Look at Oklahoma City Thunder uh, in the Utah Jazz. The Jazz had 58 people in their traveling party for one game. And I can tell you that's on the smaller half of the league. It's it's usually closer to 75, 80 people that are with these teams. So so that wasn't going to happen. But the reality is if it gets to a point where you can have under 200, yeah, now you can definitely start saying, man, we can have NBA games. There's no worries. Let's get things moving in that direction. So I think what what you'll see with the league here is – The other important thing is the players and the players union and the teams and the NBA itself are very committed to saving this season. They do not want to just wipe it away and have it look like the 1994 Major League Baseball season where the year just ended. They want to make sure that they they do something to finish out this year. And whether that's, jump right into the playoffs whenever they can return, play some form of shortened regular season. I think they're going to have to do that just from a standpoint of asking the players to come right back in and play playoff-type games right away. You're going to get the worst playoffs you've ever seen. You're going to probably see some form of shortened playoffs, whether that's number of games in the first round, or you'll see teams play back-to-backs, which they don't do in the playoffs. That could help some of the younger teams in the league uh, because they should be better positioned to play those back-to-back games. And those types of things. So we'll see ultimately where this all goes. I, you know, the optimist in me says hopefully we get back, we get some form of you know two week regular season in there where teams treated more like the preseason, and then we're into the playoffs and off we go. The pessimist in me though comes up every day that goes by, and we're not closer to somebody saying hey we're we're turning the corner on this thing. It just starts to look a lot less likely like we're going to see the NBA this year.
2: Uh, I have a question, Philip, again, from Boda Sports. Um, I just want to shift the focus back to the Celtics. Um, obviously, in the, in the coming years, in the future, they should have a lot of success with the pieces that they got, the young core and Tatum and Brown can come in, you know, and hopefully in addition to a big man or, or development of Robert Williams on the roster right now. But obviously, to have good success, you need a good bench, you know, someone to rely on off the bench. And not mentioning Marcus Smart because we already, we already know what he's about, and other other um, veterans on the team that come off the bench that put it in production, who do you think off the bench from the young from the young guns, meaning people like Romeo, Carson Edwards, you know Grant Williams, taco, and more, who do you think will, have, will take the next step in the future or the near future to help with the Celtics success in the coming years, or possibly this season as we go into the um, the rest of this NBA season if it comes back.
5: I think in the near term, you're looking at that being Grant Williams. He's already been that impactful guy all year for them. Even when he's played poorly offensively, he's usually been pretty good on defense. So I think he's going to do that. And I think the offense will come here. You've seen flashes of it throughout the year. It's it's once that jump shot gets a little more consistent, then you're really looking at a guy who can do some things. But he he very clearly knows how to pass the ball, knows how to move it. He's got to tighten up his dribble. You'd like to see him be able to drive a close out every once in a while and put the ball on the floor a couple times and get into the basket area. But long term I think it's Langford. I, I Langford just he flashes so much ability both athletically as well as skill wise that it's really impressive. He, he can shoot the ball he can do some things off the dribble already doesn't really know how to pass yet but that'll come but his defensive uh, ability especially one on one on the ball is pretty good. Off the ball he gets lost but he's a rookie that happens pretty regularly to rookies in the NBA. So I think Long-term, those are the two. Well, short-term, you're looking at Grant Williams being helpful. And Then long-term, Romeo Langford. it kind of slotted in the middle there, probably Robert Williams because we see what he can do when he comes in. Just his energy level can help change games. But I think he's a guy you're looking at probably for another year or so. You're looking at him being a guy who's a 10-15 minute per game guy than a guy you can count on regularly to play 25 to 30 minutes. And then, you know, maybe eventually he gets there. Maybe that's what he is. And if that's what he is – Is a 15 to 20 minute per game energy guy off the bench, that's not bad. We've seen a lot of guys play that role for a long time in the NBA, and I think that would be just fine. The real answer is probably that guy's not on the roster. Who's going to help? Because I think what happens is as this team graduates and matures into being a true contender, where other veteran players see them as that, that's where you'll start filling out the bench with those veteran players who are coming in on those one-year contracts, those those minimum deals. They're chasing a ring and they're trying to catch on and, and get there and if the team can get there that's where I think you're going to start seeing those guys uh, be the ones who really fill out those back you know maybe four or five bench roles.
1: What's up guys? I have one. I have a question. A fun question. I'm Cody by the way. How are we all doing? Um, I saw something on Twitter the other day and Keith, uh, Adam, or Tim you guys can jump on this one It was you can get guaranteed 20 years of one duo. Which would you take? Bird McHale or KG Pierce? I think it's actually a little bit more that you have to think about it. I think it's not as cut and dry as people make it out to be.
5: Guaranteed 20 years? Was that what it was?
1: Yeah, guaranteed 20 years of together, either Paul uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, as they played the 20-year career together, no Minnesota or anything, or Kevin McHale, Larry Bird.
5: Oh, it's Bird and McHale, and it's not even close. It's Bird is you know a top ten player in NBA history, and I love KG and Pierce, but neither one of them is that. And then McHale is you know arguably, if you're getting McHale at his peak, he was just as good as Garnett was, and, and Bird's you know far better than than Pierce. So, so for me, I'd say Bird and McHale without a question. I'm curious to see you know maybe some of the younger guys in the group uh, feel Adam or Tim. I think I was gonna say I was like I guess
6: context and time really impacts my decision because my dad personally grew up watching all of the old school Celtics and everything so it's a completely different angle for him and of course he's always touted the 1986 Celtics to me talking about Bird and McHale and the rest of that amazing team and seeing a legend like Larry Bird in today's NBA would be interesting so I, I guess it really depends on if you're talking about today's NBA or years ago because that's Honestly, between those duos, I think it's a coin flip because the way that Pierce and KG translate to this NBA just might be a little bit different than the way that McHale and Bird would. But for me, I just don't want to disrespect like Larry Legend because it's, it's Larry Bird. He's, he was the face of the Celtics for years. He's one of the greatest all-time small forwards. So I, my gut wants to go Bird and McHale, but my heart wants to go for KG and Pierce just because we didn't get to see enough of those two together?
1: Yeah, it's a definitely interesting question. I think obviously uh, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, I think is the right answer too. I think people don't understand how good Kevin McHale really was. I mean, he, for most of his career, uh, for the first part of his career came off the bench. And then when he started to start, he was a 28, a 26, 28 guy with 10 plus rebounds with all NBA defense Add Larry Bird, who was a top five player to ever play the game. It seems like a no-brainer, but you add the dimension. You know, the modern game. I think Kevin uh, Garnett could stretch the floor and probably fits more in today's NBA than Kevin McHale did. Not saying McHale would have been an outlier or anything, but I mean, also Kevin Garnett when he was in he had one one of the best peaks in the history of the NBA. I mean, he was a monster in Minnesota. I just found it as an interesting question. I think obviously people say, "Oh, it's Bird McHale, no joke, but no question." But I think you can think about it a little bit longer than just for McHale, that's it.
5: I yeah, I th- one- sorry, I think what some people don't realize with Kevin McHale is, towards the very, very late in his career, he started to shoot the three on occasion. Um, yeah, Not a lot of them, but he, he would actually step out and take the occasional three-pointer. And he, he wasn't very bad y'all, you know, from out there. He had a better jump shot than people thought. And I think what people... A lot of people sometimes they look at Mikhail and they think of the big, you know, tall, slow white guy that you threw it into the post and that's where he did all his damage. But this guy was arguably one of the best defensive players in the league. Charles Barkley still to this day says nobody defended him better than McHale because Mikhail was the only guy who both could stay with Barkley off the dribble because Barkley's whole game was put a big on me, I'm going to take him outside and I'm going to take him off the dribble. Put a small on me, I'll just bully him inside. Well, he couldn't do either one of those things to McHale. McHale was, you know, just his numbers were so ridiculous. And if anybody wants to know just how good this guy was, it gets you a sense of a little bit more toward Towards, um, understanding how he was even at the back end of his career. Go look at the 1993 playoffs when they played the Charlotte Hornets and Reggie Lewis unfortunately went down um, early in that playoff series and wasn't available. Mikhail kept the Celtics in that playoff series and really was absolutely dominant in a couple of those games. And that was late career. McHale coming off easily his worst uh, regular season of his career. only year in his career he shot under 50% from the field. I just I don't know how many people, really do understand just how good this guy was and his numbers were always a little lesser than what you thought they were because he was playing with bird and parish and he spent a lot of the beginning part of his career and then the back half of his career coming off the bench and those kind of things so i think people really want to take a look and understand just how good this guy was
3: yeah, I'm sorry. Um yeah, so I think one thing people forget is 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 KG, you know, when, in Siberia out there in Minnesota when, when he was young, I mean he was just a gazelle on the court. Um, you know, he was LeBron before LeBron. Um and I don't think he really got that, you know, notoriety of how good he was early on. Um and the one thing about McHale too, um, people talk about post plays, they usually you know, when people talk about the top five players, um, you know, they, they talk about Hakeem and the dream shake. I mean, uh, Mikhail was just unstoppable in the post, um, you know, right down to the you know very end for him. And I think that's one thing people really forget. I think he, at a, you know, post players, um, he was just unstoppable. I mean, he was, you know, probably the best of all time. And that's, and, and, and people forget too, that he was out in Minnesota and, and, and helping, um, Know helping Garnett to kind of develop into the player he was. So I think that there are, uh, you know, when you're talking about these, these, you know, these four players, there are some, um, you know, some connection between the two.
7: Yes, my point. I guess the one thing that matters the most to me in this scenario is what we think about Kevin Garnett. If he did spend twenty years with a pretty good team, right, like think he, I think you're you're saying Larry Larry Bird is probably the only only guy who's a top ten player out of the four. Um, and, and and that's true, and I guess right now, like, nobody can really make an argument that Kevin Garnett was a top-ten player uh, based on what happened in his career, but I think Kevin Garnett, for me, is, like, one of the few guys where, where I'm like, if he was in a different situation, are we really that sure that he wouldn't have ended up a top-ten player? I think that's what it comes down to for me. Yeah,
5: I think what I always come back to with Kevin Garnett, though, was how much more were you looking for him to do than 20 20- four night and 14 rebounds and you know five assists even on a really good team he wasn't going to do more than that I mean that's that's the the reality he was you know great I don't get me wrong I love KG and if if you're asking for one guy that I need to you know put out there to backbone a defense at the big man spot for one game you know for my life I'm going to yeah, give me KG because he'll get it communicated. He'll he'll you know contribute himself. But there, it, it's just as you look his numbers. Just because his numbers maybe got overlooked by some, he he was still an all he was an all star in his second year. He's all star all the way through. Then the remainder of his time in Minnesota, other than the one shortened season, um, they just you know everybody knew. I think how good KG was. I just don't know. You put him on a the, the Celtics for more years, yeah. Maybe more people know, and we're obviously even more attached to him than we are from the you know five six years he was in Boston. But I think the reality is, you're just not getting much more out of a guy than 24, 14, and five a night, no matter what situation he's in, no matter how good, team, you know, the guys are around him. If anything, those numbers might come down a little because he's playing with better players as well.
7: Yeah, I guess my point is, if he, I guess. My I guess my actual point is if he did average 24, 14, and five, but instead of one championship, if he had three or four. Are we not discussing him in a complete different tier than we are used to discussing him? Or like, is he like if he was 24, 14, and five, winning three or four championships? Is he really not as good as Duncan? Is that is that not what the discussion would be, or would we still discuss Kevin Garnett as more of a top 15, 20 guy? Or, is, or, would we be discussing him as a top twenty-five?
5: Yeah, no, it's a, it's definitely a fair question. I think it comes down to, for me, is I, I don't, I try to take situation out and evaluate these guys as much as their individual accomplishments and in play, um, as it is the entire team focus and scope because that yeah, because if it's always hard because we'll want to we want to go to things like well you know put put a guy in this situation he wins this and then you know somebody then invariably wants to bring up well robert or has all these rings why you're not well come on what are we doing here like you know steve kerr has a ton of rings too but nobody's talking about his greatness as a player on any sort of regular basis either so you know it's it, it rings matter to an extent but i don't i don't put them in and overrate them, I tend to use them more as a tiebreaker for my own personal evaluation just because otherwise we start to leave out some truly great players if we're going to put all you know all that emphasis on rings only.
4: So there's time for one more question. So whoever hits the unmute button first wins. Everybody's being super polite. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to take that as nobody's got a question left. Yep, so nobody's got a question left. So we'll call I- it...
3: I got a quick question, um, you know, obviously, you know, uh, <laughs> Kenny Rogers passing away and people keep doing these replays of uh, 88 uh, uh, game when, you know, had him and John McEnroe and Jordan. And I mean, I mean, it does kind of sound like, you know, um, cliche or gimmicky. Um, do you see the NBA kind of trying to do something like that to really, you know, once these things, you know, as soon as these restrictions have to get lifted a little bit? Um, Do you see the NBA, you know, if we're going to cancel the season altogether, we might do something to kind of, you know, um, entertain the fans in between now and when the next season um, starts?
5: Yeah, I think what you're going to see the league do is if we unfortunately get to a place where we can't have a real season, but things are cleared up by, let's say, August or maybe you know, late August, beginning part of September enough, the league has already said Adam Silver talked about getting a group of all stars together and for charity or whatever, having them play, you know, a game. And I think that would be something that would be very interesting for a lot of players. I think, uh, that the league would be interested in that. Maybe you do it in some form of a, of a less, uh, still competitive, but, um, uh, not not as competitive environment as it may maybe this is their version of a 3 on 3 tournament or something like that and i think that would personally be cool let these guys form their own teams and you know uh, maybe if there's a couple retired you know, recently retired players who want to come back out. Maybe that's how we finally see uh, uh, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Carmelo suit up together and they you know, play a three-on-three tournament or something like that. But it's I think you're definitely going to see the league do something along those lines because I think they are going to want to get back out there at some point rather than just let it go all the way into next October before we see um, NBA players on the court again if we lose the entire season. But first focus is obviously they want to get the the season resolved in some uh, form or function.
4: Okay, guys, I want to say thank you to everybody that called in. Special thanks to Keith. Sorry, I stumbled over my own words. Special thanks to Keith for taking the time out to answer everybody's questions. We all really appreciate that.
5: Yeah, of course, man. No, I'm happy to do this. Uh, You know, I'd be happy to do it again. I know it was, it was, it was nice to talk about basketball for a little bit instead of uh, basketball in the sense of what's happening in the world. And I just want to, you know, add uh, my two cents to everybody, you know, stay safe, uh, keep your family safe. If you can stay home, stay home. You know, there's no reason to be out there and, and, doing things i mean i miss you know going out and doing stuff too and i miss you everything else but this is really important that we you know get through this together and that's the only way we're going to figure it out is if we all do our part so you know continue to do what you're doing everybody's doing a great job and you know basketball will be back you know i I, well i don't want to say before we know it but hopefully that hopefully that's what it'll feel like
4: to be honest i can 't wait for basketball to be back it 's the one thing at the moment. my league pass is just working its way backwards as many games as I can possibly consume without the wife killing me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we do this call in every Sunday, obviously Keith done done like a really nice thing by coming on and answering everybody 's questions to kind of get that basketball content going again. But you're free to message me on a Sunday, any listeners as well, DM me. The number's never the same, which is why I have to take the DMs to hand it back out because it changes every time I start one of these meetings. And we've got two more episodes coming up this week. I'm sure that Keith's going to be putting out some articles throughout the week. So make sure you keep your eyes open for them. They're always good. A recent one that he did actually was one where you asked your dad for some information,
5: right, Keith? I did. Yeah. So I did my 10 favorite Celtics of my lifetime, which was immediately met with where's Russell and Koozie. I'm not, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Um, so I, I went to, I went to my dad and said, Hey dad, you want to put together the 10 Celtics of your lifetime? Cause he's been there for all of it. And then his list was kind of funny cause he stopped pretty much watching at the end of the bird, uh, McHale error. That's when he was pretty much out on basketball. And he, he likes to say as a lot of the old, you know, uh, crow you know grouchy old guy say is um you know i like basketball not whatever this is you know so that's uh you know but well, you know that's a long-standing argument but yeah but he gave me my gave me his list i added some color to that with some of the stories i've heard a million times over and over again about these guys i never get to see play so you know so it, that was a lot of fun and and you're absolutely right adam i'll have a piece out uh probably early in the week maybe tuesday or wednesday uh, at the latest of uh, uh, another 10 takeaways that this one's gonna be a little bit more uh, immediate basketball focused and hopefully that'll uh, give people a little bit to to get through it as we, we uh, all try to figure our way through this thing.
4: I'm actually looking forward to that one and another one I'd like to let everybody know to go check out is Keith's one on what the salary cap decreasing could mean for the Boston Celtics. He put together some good information there so if you're wondering how the cap drop can affect anybody then that's definitely a good resource to go and get some information from that's over at celticsplug.com i think it's one of the top few pieces on there at the moment that you can so it's easy to find and then we'll be back again next week so thank you everyone for calling in thank you again keith and make sure you hit the like and subscribe button those five star reviews really do help they help us move up in the itunes rankings and it helps everybody stay happy stay safe keep washing those hands stay indoors and we'll catch you again later in the week cheers